Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. What is best in life, Conan? And Larry Correa. To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of their women. <laughs> Today's episode, character growth and consistency. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo, everybody. Glad to be back with you. Today, we have a, we have a special treat for you. Today is the return of bad Twitter advice. Yep. Uh, our, our subject today is going to be character growth and development, but this came about because uh, every time I find really horrible advice, writing advice on Twitter, we like to share it with you guys, the listeners. Or if you guys also, if you find really bad, horrible writing advice, feel free to send it to us because we love to break it down. Because let me tell you, Twitter is the worst place in the world for a lot of things, but especially writing advice. Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the sheer levels of stupidity that we see on Twitter is, is, I wish I could say it was surprising, but Twitter's kind of a cesspool and a kind of the hive yeah. of scum and villainy. And we, we'll never name these writers. No, but, they don't. Well, they're I, not writers. Uh, yeah. That's the sad part. Some of them actually are, which <laughs> makes it, our next bad writing advice one is actually a writer. Oh, I didn't realize I that person. She's actually published. Wow. Yeah. That's depressing. Yeah. This one's not, uh, as far as I know, but I'm going to go ahead and, uh, but just so you guys know a little inside baseball here because we don't name these people. I read all these tweets as if they're the, from the same person. Yes. So I use the same voice for all of them. So okay, everybody, <clears throat> here we go. Brace yourselves. The beginning of any story should show the character as the complete opposite of who they change into by the end of the story. And show why that character can't slash won't change as their current selves. The first time they are forced to change is the catalyst, which starts their journey. Oh, good grief. I know, it's so bad. <laughs> so to, to read that again in English. Um, the, the, only reason, the only yeah. reason that quote is, is worth listening to is because we get to listen to it in... in <laughs> In bad advice person voice. <laughs> I love bad advice person voice. And so basically all, the, in our heads now, all the bad advice on Twitter comes from the same person. Yes. We'll have to, when we, when I'm not banned on Facebook, we'll have to come up with a bad writing advice voice for Facebook. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So but basically what she says is the beginning of any story should show the character as the complete opposite of who they change into by the end of the story and show why that character can't slash won't change as their current selves. The first time they're forced to change is the catalyst, which starts their journey. So why is that horrible advice, Steve? Well, <laughs> because the, the idea that your character has zero consistency throughout the life of their, their journey through their, their plot arc is absurd to me. You think about it. If, if you think about like every successful story there is, there are a handful where a character does a 180, where a character sure. is totally different. But what percentage of stories would you say that no, is? No, it, it's pretty small. I think the most, I think more often than not, what we see from that sort of thing, um, okay, show we both like and the character that we, that I think is both of our favorites in the show, Stranger Things. Yeah, okay. it's a good show. I Steve, team Steve. I'm team Steve all 100%. I'm, I'm obviously team Steve. Uh, yeah, Steve, Steve starts out as the bully. He's a, he's a complete jerk face. He's a douchebag. He's a, I mean, he treats everybody horribly and then he has a, and then he has a moment where things catalyze in his mind and he realizes, oh, I've been a complete jerk face. Yeah. And then he changes and then he becomes the single best character in the entire show. And it's not just on, and actually I think later seasons, they kind of do him wrong and make him a little more comic relief. Yeah. I think Steve is the best character on the show because he's not even a 180 though, because he's still kind of himself. He's still the same guy. 
Yeah. But he has definitely some some hero moments, like mm-hmm. like revelation. And also one of the kids he used to pick on and like a kind of kid he thought was a dork becomes like his best friend. Yeah. You know, you know it, it's, I think we see it there. That's like one. But but even then, like the seeds of who he was was already there. Yeah. Um, you think about if you're, if you, and plus if, if this woman is given advice, like this should be like every story. Right. If every story has the same character arc, what is the point? Exactly. You know, this is more, this is like the kind of story she likes and she's like insisting that everybody needs to open their stories that way. That's just foolishness. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I see in this is I'm wondering if she's thinking of, of the typical, like villain redemption plot arcs. Okay. So let's look at like, you uh, know what I mean? Star Wars. So that's the big one. You know, you got your whole Anakin Skywalker. He goes from little kid to good guy. To whiny little punk. To whiny little punk. Uh, who's actually, the Clone Wars does a much better job of making you like, why the, is yeah, this guy cartoon, cool? Yeah, the cartoon, yeah, for sure. Uh, then he goes, complete psycho bad guy with like no explanation. It's really horrible mm-hmm. in that movie. In the, yes. Uh, and then the end, he gets redeemed. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's more of a kind of a roller coaster up and down and the character is really super inconsistent through that. So I don't know if that's a. But I mean, if, if we're talking about, if we're talking about Star Wars in the vein of when it first came out, you know, the original, the original and good trilogy, the only good trilogy that Star Wars has ever made. Yeah. So if, if we're talking about that original Star Wars trilogy, then the only thing that people ever see there, I mean, the opening scene is basically the, you know, the Star Destroyer chasing after the frigate. Um, and then the, the Krillin cruiser, and then, you know, you see the whole hallway scene battle between the rebellion forces and, um, and Darth Vader's stormtroopers. Great intro. It's a fantastic intro. intro. And the first, the first exposure you have to Darth Vader is he walks in like a complete, like, like one of the baddest mamajamas in the entire universe. Yes. He walks Seven in through feet the fall. Tall. Oh yeah. He walks in and he's just like, I own this place. I own everyone in here. Yeah. I am the best. Chokes a dude. Yep. You, you know, know, does the whole thing, but, and then from that whole first movie, he's a bad guy. Whole second movie, he's a bad guy until, until the very end. And you start seeing, wait, he actually has some deeper motivations. Like, you know, he finds out spoiler. We find out spoiler that Luke is in fact Darth Vader's son. Crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I don't feel too bad about movies where, you know, been out long as we've been alive. So <laughs> Longer than I've been alive. <laughs> so, um. Wow. I am older than you are. You I are. I forgetting that. I know. So then, and then you fast forward into the third movie and that's when, that's when his, Darth Vader's full arc is, is really catalyzed. And. Does he do a complete 180? But he doesn't do a complete 180, I don't think. No. Because the seeds are, are sown throughout I wouldn't say the first movie, but definitely the second movie. Um, the seeds are sown, and then throughout the third movie, you realize what's going to happen. So I, I, the way the way this this nameless miscreant on Twitter is is explaining it is that it's like a heel turn, like out of nowhere, like they're supposed to all of a sudden be, become a different character, and that's absurd to me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it's more that you can have a character flip some things. Uh, you can have a character, you know, repent of their evil ways, or you can have a character go from good guy to bad guy. Or bad to good. Or whatever. bad to good. But they're still kind of going to be on an arc. 
Yeah. You very rarely see the flip. Even like you think about Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Breaking yeah. Bad before. I think that's a stupendously good written show. Yeah. Well-written show. Yeah. It's the gradual descent of a character into supervillainy. The thing is, though, if you look at Walter White, he was only always kind of a narcissist. Sure. Uh, he was always kind of a malignant personality. That got way worse over time. Pun intended. Oh, I didn't even intend. Man, I never intend my puns. Oh, man. No. Okay, yeah. So I was did, like, yeah. dang, that's a great pun, Larry. No, I never. I, oh. I didn't know. That was just free association. Um, <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen the show, you know, <laughs> he's he's a, he's a high school chemistry professor yeah. who gets cancer and then starts cooking meth to, to pay for I mean, his cancer. Okay. That's what we all do, basically. As one does. Or build illegal machine guns if it was like, you know, a slightly different story. Same but, thing. It's, it's he, honestly, though, think about the character. He's, he doesn't do a 180. It's a gradual, because no. yeah. he's still the same guy. Cause he was just kind of a jerk at the beginning too. Only he, well, and he kept it in check. And he even, even, I mean, gosh, episode one, episode two of that series, he's using, he's using the, the illness that he's been afflicted with to, to just be a complete jerk face. And he's using it as an excuse to do things that he knows are completely, are completely wrong and bad. Yeah. 180 though? No. No. It's not a 180. No. No. If, if we're talking like strict 180s, I, I, I don't know that I can find, I don't know that I can think of, of anything. I'm sure there's one out there because there's always an exception. But I can't think of anything that works for me where it's a complete 180. No, usually where this works, guys, and the key on this in characters, if you want to have a character change dramatically a direction, think about the clues you put in that character to Mm -hmm. begin with. And then exploit those flaws or accentuate those strengths. So just like when I'm writing Son of the Black Sword, I start with Ashok Vidal. He's a pretty horrible person. He burns villages for a living, okay? He is the law. Mm-hmm. This is fantasy Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got his own code of honor, though. He's got his own yeah. moral principles. And so, but he has to do a complete change of his purpose in life. Yet it works because he's forced to like, now be a criminal, but it still works with his same sense of honor. His core individual of who he is never actually changes. He yeah. becomes more of a human being and he learns to not be a complete scumbag. Well, he's never a scumbag because he has this code of honor. Right. But it all flows organically. Well, or think of, um, think of Valerian in, uh, in Servants of War. Like, according to this, because Valerian starts out chapter one, he's a farm kid. And, and he's, he's honest. He's true to his friends. He's, I mean, he's a legit good person. So, so then according to this tweet, he should, he should all of a sudden turn into like, like a supervillain by the end of the show. Right. Yeah. And that, and that by the end of the book. pretty much the entire fantasy genre and a thousand. Yeah, other it's idiotic. Books. It's yeah. idiotic. Now that said though, he does change a lot and he grows a lot. He we does. We put him through hell. But he's consistent. Well, at the end, he's still that farm boy at heart. He is. And he's still a good person. He still, and actually he's, him, his being a good person actually makes him an anomaly in the world, which he lives Yeah. Well, and he's, he's true to his friends. He's true to his crewmates. Um, he's true to the soldiers fight next to him. And, and all of that, you know, in a, in a farm boy setting, that means that he's, he's the kid everyone likes yeah. in a military setting. It means that he's the guy everyone can rely on. And, and what I really like doing, Larry, is I like taking characters and their specific characteristics and showing how 
a like a like a very specific characteristic like say so in Alarian's case is his his goodness or his trueness his loyalty and showing how it can be used in other instances for good showing how other people perceive it but also showing how it can be used as used against him yeah that's an interesting one too is because you when you set up the character at the beginning you as the writer you know where you're going to take them kind of you know what direction you're taking this character in you can do any sort of flip you want but you got to build those keys in there and so if if we were to follow this advice it would just destroy the story because we would take him from all these good things and make him an interesting character and we'd throw him away basically and the whole catalyst thing you know whatever don't ever write according to a checklist, people. That's the main key. If you want to have your character flip a, and become super evil psycho killer, or you want to have your evil psycho killer become a good guy, you can do that, but you've got to do it organic. you got to do it smooth. Yeah. It's kind of sleight of hand here. Well, it's just like anything else. I mean, if you're not, if you're not foreshadowing what's going to happen to a character, just like what's going to happen in a plot and, and things like that. I mean, think of any, think of any, um, heist movie ever made. There's always, there's almost always that moment at the end where the person who gets taken advantage of in that situation, they do the, like the rapid fire reminiscence over like all the different things, all the clues that all of a sudden make sense in that guy's head. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. All of this was foreshadowed. Well, yeah. The greatest single one of those ever was Kaiser Soze. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, that was like, that was like the perfect encapsulation of that right. trope. And, and they're doing that, you know, as he's, as, uh, as the, the detective or whatever is looking at like the various pieces around the office and seeing the different things that he's mentioned. And then it's, it's counterpointed with, with Kevin Spacey's character. Um, all of a sudden his walking pattern changes yep. and you're like, okay. That seems amazing. Unreliable narrator. I got gotcha. you. And it's interesting too, because. That did that character do a 180? No, because he was always that, mm -hmm. you know. Because because if if he had done a 180, you couldn't have had all these clues, because because the guy was just telling a giant lie. Yeah, which made it really interesting. Oh, we're almost we're almost up a break, but I got to say one thing. Yeah, we have a very special second part bad writing advice. Indeed, we do. Yes, this is these guys. This is a two-parter of bad writing from the same woman. Done. It gets Done. even better. Done. We'll be right back. The war between Al Masia and the Empire of Kolokovia is in its hundredth year. Casualties grow on both sides as the conflict leaves no corner of the world untouched. Alarian Glaskov's quiet life on the fringes of the Empire is thrown into chaos when an impossible tragedy strikes his village. When he is conscripted into the Tsarist military, he is sent to serve in The Wall, an elite regiment that pilots suits of armors made from the husks of dead golems. But the Great War is not the only or even the worst danger facing Valerian, as he is caught in a millennia-old conflict between two goddesses. He must survive the ravages of trench warfare, horrific monsters from another world, and the treacherous internal politics of the country he serves. Servants of War, New Military Fantasy, by Master of Horror Steve Diamond and international bestseller Larry Correa. Available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to part two, as we teased. So, a little bit, little bit of history. Uh, this person who, who gave the bad advice in the first episode about bad characterness, she doubled down. 
Yes, this is where I, I, so I actually, this first time on the episode, I get to use the bad voice twice. Um, so another author responds, who is a um, very successful author. Mm-hmm. I could probably name him because he's, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on his team here. It's Michael Rothman, M.A. Yeah. Rothman. And um, he, we're going to actually have him as a guest on the show. I respect mm-hmm. him a lot. The dude hustles. You know, yeah. he's a good writer, science fiction dude. Um, and so he says, he responds to her, redacted. As a word of advice from someone who has sold a couple books here and there in multiple languages across many countries, you are not qualified to give advice. You should likely listen more and talk less. And then maybe eventually you'll not give horrid advice. I thought that was actually a fairly diplomatic response for someone who is saying, hey, let's destroy 98% of the stories in the world. Okay. So she responds to this. In, in, in typical Twitter fashion. <coughs> um, excuse me. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Thanks for mansplaining and telling a random woman on the internet to shut up because you think she's stupid. I hope I'm smart enough to understand that anyone can write and sell books, even an incel like you. Oh, gosh. Thumbs up emoji. Thumbs up. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. So, okay. So not to be too cruel here, but here's the thing, guys. The reason I, I brought out this second part is there is good advice and bad advice out there. Yeah. And there's constructive criticism and destructive criticism. Correct. And you guys, you know, listen to constructive criticism, but don't, you know, you guys don't have to listen to bull crap constructive. Or you, you guys don't have to listen to crappy criticism from people who don't know what they're talking about. But the funny thing that made me laugh about this is, like, so a guy who is actually a USA Today bestseller, an international bestseller, says, hey, that's bad advice. You should probably not give bad advice. You should probably listen more. And the response immediately is, thanks for mansplaining. Well, first off, is she a biologist? How would she know? Okay, so there, there's that right there. Okay. <laughs> And he didn't tell her, you know, it wasn't, I would have used more profanity if I had responded, but, um, but then obviously anyone can write books, even an incel like you, which is funny. Cause obviously if you don't like bad writing advice, you have never known the touch of a woman. Well, and look, I think the, the deeper issue here is one of, of how you respond to criticism when it's leveled at you and in different, I mean, Look, every single person out there, when you're a writer, you're going to receive criticism. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to be from, from the editors who are giving you advice on how to improve your craft. Sometimes it's going to be from re- readers and reviewers who, um, you know, maybe they do or do not like your story. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's feedback from fans. They might be right. They might be wrong. Sometimes it's feedback from detractors who just want to tear you down. Yes. Uh, and you got to recognize, I, I had one that was actually kind of funny. I responded to, um, the, uh, yesterday, I think. And so, uh, John C. Wright, great writer, good mm-hmm. dude. John C. Wright actually plugged some of my stuff on his blog and, uh, in the comments, never read the comments on other people's never, blogs. Never. Some guy, some guy actually likes my books, but he said something about like, well, I was, uh, I had a snort of derision when I read Grimnoir or Grimnoir because, uh, he got his blimp so wrong. Keep in mind, it's a fantasy novel, right? He yeah. got his dirigible so wrong because he describes him in feet. They should be described in yards because they're huge. They're seriously, he totally underestimates how big these were, which is funny because I, I do my research. I'm like a research junkie. So I immediately responded and I actually had most of the numbers like in my head still because that's kind of dork I am. And I was like, dude, the Hindenburg was 814 feet long. The Akron was like 780 feet long, you know, and so I'm going through, 
and, and can you talk about oh, this guy said, well, in my, in my youth, I was, uh, on one of the Navy programs for, you know, dirigibles and he doesn't realize how huge are. I go, I go, the last Navy dirigible is 178 feet long. And I started listing the, um, numbers from Grim Noir and it's like the Kaga class was 900 feet long. You know, so I was, I was, and so I told the guys like, so unless you're the world's oldest man who is somehow, you know, a hundred, you're 130 years old and you're here posting on the internet. Nah, I'll take constructive criticism, but I won't take bullcrap criticism. That's right. And I, I actually didn't say bullcrap, but you know, well, yeah. we're on the air. But, um, no, so the thing is, so be aware guys, when you take criticism off people, some people are just full of crap and they just want to whine about stuff on the internet. Other times you might actually be wrong. You might be barking yes. up the wrong tree here. Well, and I think the biggest thing here, which is obviously what this, uh, the person who wrote these series of tweets is incapable of doing apparently. And that's showing a little bit of self-reflection. And I think one of the biggest strengths that, um, that new re- that new writers can cultivate and maybe some old writers can, you know, teach, you know, old dog, new tricks and all that crap, um, is, is, is to have that introspection. It's a, it's a talent that can be learned. Yeah. You even, and here's the thing, guys, you got to have kind of rhino hide in this business. Mm-hmm. So you got to find the fine line of too many writers. We get really hung up in our own heads. It's because, you know, it's the nature of being a writer. You're a creative yeah. type person. A lot of us get really, really sensitive, but what you need to do is kind of take this stuff as it comes, be analytical. Sometimes they might have a valid point. Other times they might be full of it, but you need to just kind of look and don't break down and be like, oh no, someone criticized me. It's the end of the world. You're going to get criticized. Oh, there's no, you're going to get, you're going to, people are not going to like your stuff. You're yeah, going to There, there are off. no exceptions to this rule. No, the greatest writers who have ever lived have had one star reviews. Oh yeah. Like tons of them. Um, and probably, you know, some of the greatest writers who've ever lived, um, we have never seen their stuff because they broke down in tears and never wrote anything again after the first time someone yelled at them. You know, I think it's really, this is something really important for new writers, Larry, because I, and, and I'll admit that I struggle, that I struggle, have struggled with this. And continue to struggle with this at times. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes I always just, I think, man, I don't know. I, I just don't know if I'm good enough for this. Well, Am a, I good enough? That's a common feeling. Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of new authors and I think there's a lot of very, very great authors that run through life, um, you know, under a constant onslaught of imposter syndrome. Well, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big Neil Gaiman fan. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like Terry Pratchett, but I'm not a big Neil Gaiman fan, but I, I've heard Neil Gaiman talk about his imposter syndrome and he's Neil Gaiman. He's sold, I mean, how many tens of millions of books? He sold like everything. Yeah. yeah. The guy has sold millions and millions and millions of books in, in everywhere in mm-hmm. the world for decades. So, I mean, clearly the guy is not an imposter, but even he struggles with that. Yep. Um, it, it's the kind of thing it happens. Now, back in ye olden times when I used to be a book reviewer, um, oftentimes I framed my reviews with whether, you know, constructive criticism, more or less. Um, It's a small business, so um, it's a small world out there. So I never really, uh, I never really stooped to personal attacks against authors and stuff like that with one exception, and that was Dan Brown. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that review but, actually. Yeah, that's a great review. Anyway, well, well, I mean, the guy jumped out of a helicopter and then like parachuted because of his coat. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Well, and his, his villain, the villains he created in some of his, especially his third book. <laughs> oh, the hulking albino. Oh, the, was that? No, that was. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. That's the was one. That the, was that, oh my gosh. In the, in the lost symbol. Oh, that was so bad. Um, 
speaking of character consistency, let's let's we'll we'll kind of tie these two together. Um, he, there are there's consistency, and then there's um, <laughs> and then there's like Dan Brown, Dan Brown using just trope after trope after trope, and 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 stuff that you're just and like, I man, love tropes this is too, a freaking, but you gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta, this was a checklist. There are tools in the toolbox, not, you know, you yeah. just don't beat the manuscript with the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, the whole, my whole point is that in those times I would write a lot of, you know, I would write a lot of criticism about people's books, um, and their characters specifically, cause that's kind of what I care most about is character consistency, character growth. And Oftentimes, um, I would have some authors contact me and say, well, you just didn't understand my book. You just didn't understand the character. Okay. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, whatever. Yeah, sure. You know? And then oftentimes on the other side, I would also have people, uh, email me and say, dang, I didn't even, man, I didn't even realize that that was a thing. You know, when you're writing a book, guys, Oftentimes you're way too close to the forest to see any of the trees. You're so close to the forest that, you know, your face is running, is like rubbing up against the tree and you're like, yeah, am you're, I on sandpaper? Like, I don't more. even know. You're not even sure what's going on anymore. I've actually had negative reviews that, uh, I read them and go, yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I, I see it like, well, this, this felt like, you know, this could have been better. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. And I've seen other reviews where it's like. Nah, this guy is smoking crack. He's full. Yeah. He has no flipping idea what he's talking about. That said, um, there's the advice of most authors should not respond to their critics, especially <laughs> in public. Uh, I've actually kind of gone, uh, I, I don't, I, I, I do it, but I do it, but I always do it. I make sure I do it in a fun way. Yeah. So from a marketing perspective, don't be the guy that like, there's, there's some pretty legendary indie authors. I try to remember the one, but remember Empress Teresa? Yeah. Just mentoring this book might get us sued uh, because this, seriously, this dude, like when people criticize his work, he just goes like crazy. It, it's yeah. nuts. Um, but like what I do is like, I've responded to some, I'll take my dumbest reviews, like the, obviously the most silly ones. And then I'll respond to those and do a blog post of them. Uh, and I, I've had a lot of fun with that, but make sure it fits with your branding and your marketing and your, and, and, and so me, it's in good, in, like for one was like, well, this was stupid. You'd be better off spending your money on a magazine. And I put up a picture of Cat Fancy. And I was like, I recommend Cat Fancy. <laughs> I don't know why I picked Cat Fancy. It just seems like it'd be a cat lady. And uh, one of them was, because uh, this is a couple years ago, but somebody's ripping a Monster Hunter. And they're like, one star. This is stupid and horrible. If you want good urban fan, or the, this is stupid, dumb, right-wing, gun nut, macho fiction. If you want good urban fantasy, read Jim Butcher. And so I responded, is like, well, luckily Jim Butcher likes stupid, dumb, urban fan or macho gun nut fantasy. Cause check out his new story in the Monster Hunter anthology. <laughs> I saw him plug Jim's story in Monster Hunter. <laughs> so you can do it. You just gotta like be cool about it with whatever your brand is. All right. So let's wrap these two terrible tweets together, Larry. So this is just a great learning. We're, we're talking about, we're talking about criticism and we're talking about um, in the first part was talking about character growth, development, consistency. So what I'm wondering, Larry, is has there been a time in your, uh, in your, in your career in which someone has given you, uh, good advice 
on some character, maybe some character growth potential or some inconsistencies or whatever that you used in your own writing? Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of specific examples here, but like Tony Weisskopf, super genius, uh, editor. And there's been times like in the monster hunter series, especially where she would point out little things that I have, I'm having characters do. Mm-hmm. And she'd say something like, you know, there, I can see what you're doing here, but I feel like you, the author are doing your personality, not this character's personality. That's interesting. What would this character do mm-hmm. in that situation? Not what would you do? Okay. And what was your, what was your immediate gut check response? Well, it's like when I first was starting out, here goes to character growth. When I was first starting out, I would take every suggestion like that and I would get a little prickly. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, well, I'm an artiste. But then after, after a little while, I'm like, well, you know, to be fair, she's right. So to be analytical about this stuff, she's correct. And that is, that is spot on. And I also, all of the years I've learned to trust Tony implicitly because she knows more about books than just and about everybody. She's forgotten more than you'll learn. No, the entire time we've worked together, there's been like maybe two or three times that like I've like actively disagreed with her on one thing or the other. Um, and they've usually been like minor things, but overall, overwhelmingly, she knows this stuff so well. And she's a step, she's a step back. Like, which again, you're saying you're the author, you're the guy in the trees. Mm-hmm. The editor is the person outside of the forest who can yeah. see the whole thing. Well, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about this on previous episodes when we were going back and forth on, um, on Servants of War and how it just seemed like every time, you know, the, you know, the document would pass back and forth. Um, I kind of felt like I was getting a little further removed from it because it was changing in front of my eyes. But when I've done stuff on my own and when you've done stuff on your own, you finish the story, you send it off and, and then, you know, your brain is still in it and, and feedback comes back and you're like, oh man, I don't even like, doesn't the, doesn't the reader understand what's in my head that I haven't put down on paper, dang it. And then, but the editors are 100% removed. You know, they, they just get a document. It's a, it's a blind read yeah. for them. Theoretically, if you have a good editor, there's some bad editors out there, but that's a whole different topic. That's a whole different topic. Um, yeah, we'll this get, was, this, we'll get Jim Mintz on to talk about that. Yeah. Jim's great. Well, this is a funny episode cause we had like two totally divergent things, but it just, it was so funny cause it was in one, one mm. set of tweets. Yeah. It was just in, so uh, much wrong in so little time. It was so much wrong in so little time. Horrible, stupid, bad character advice followed up by immediately reflexive, you know, how dare you correct me? Well, and that's you know? the thing guys, you got to understand when you receive criticism from a trustworthy source, understand that, um, you know, oftentimes it's not a personal attack. You know, this isn't this, you know, they're not telling you that you're wrong because they hate you. Maybe they're just telling you wrong because you're wrong. Yeah. Especially, I mean, because if, if, if we had gone back and if like we were to make this like good, take this and edit it into good advice, it would be like one type of story. You can start with the character who has a, you know, huge diametric organic change to who they are. But when you make these broad pronouncements, I remember one of the very first episodes we did is beware anybody that tells you there's absolute rules to writing. Right. There are many suggestions because for every rule that we, that someone gives us on the internet, inevitably we can find a hundred examples of people who violated that rule and wrote an extremely good story. That's right. Again, the only rule is, are you entertaining? 
Yep. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for you today. Thanks again for tuning into the Writer Dojo. And uh, like Larry said in the beginning, if you stumble across super terrible, awful, no good, horrible, bad advice, you know who will read it in a bad voice. That's Larry. And then I'll laugh the whole time. All right, guys. Take it easy. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Oh, good grief.